All right, welcome back to Here Science in Between. We are, yes, we are. Wow, bringing some high energy today. I, well, you know, that's what I do. I bring that high energy to the show. I, I don't know about that. I, I, I think sometimes you bring I think our energy. listeners know what, wow. what values each of us bring to Ooh, the show. Wow, now I'm interested. <laughs> so you're the high energy, you're the hype man. Yes, I'm, I'm Ollie, the high energy guy. And I'm uh, Scott, uh, high, uh, quality TBD. Right, right. You bring, you, you name things. That's what you do. Ugh, see, now, that's, <laughs> that puts me in such a small box. Uh, that's well, like saying you do dad jokes. Well, I'm not doing one today. Not for episode 27. Say. I think you're keeping, I think you're just, you know, holding back, waiting. You know, sneaking well, in. No, I can't. do a pun or something. I, I'm waiting on it. No, I think no. It's gonna happen. Nothing. I got nothing for 27. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, okay. it's, all right. And eight, hey, so this is, this is our, what, week three that we're going to talk about with uh, cross-cutting concepts. And do we need to reintroduce what those are to our, our listeners or to I don't think other? so. I think, I think we should say, like, if, if you don't, if you're not familiar with the concept of cross-cutting concepts from the NGSS, from the, from the next generation science standards, then, you yes. know, pop back a couple of episodes listen to the first one and uh and last time we talked about cause and effect um and we're, so we're going to pick at least one more to talk about i don't know if we'll talk about all of them but we're going to talk about a couple of them just so that we can uh put them in a context um pretty specifically yeah and and this week we we thought we'd jump in with uh so last week we talked about the cross-cutting concept of cause and effect cause and effect very good and this what, week we're going to talk. Did we just say that? It's like Bueller, 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 Bueller. Uh, and now we're going to talk about scale, proportion, and quantity. So this is another one of the cross-cutting concepts. And if you think about it, like this, this shows up in a bunch of places in, across sciences. And um, I'm going to. It's almost like it's a cross-cutting concept. It is. It is. It's one of those reoccurring characters that shows up again oh, and again. That's how. Well, I know this. I, we have to have a metaphor for this. We do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah well, so. Well, uh, yeah. I'm going to say it's the Luke Skywalker. They're the Luke Skywalker of the NGSS because they, he shows up in, in all, all the movies. Well, a lot he of doesn't them. though. A lot of them. He does. <laughs> <laughs> and the Mandalorian, he showed up in there. I too. think really you'd have to say, oh, if you haven't oh, watched the Mandalorian, he does not show up in the Mandalorian. Oh, oh. <laughs> spoiler. spoiler. Um. Uh, no, you yes. could say Darth Vader slash Anakin Skywalker is is a recurring character. But then it makes it sound evil. I mean, they're like not evil, Scott. Well, he didn't start out evil. Who knows what's going to happen with cross-cutting concepts? They can oh, take a wow. turn. Yeah. We'll have to see where the where the trilogy goes. Yeah, it's your metaphor, man. Yeah. All right. So uh, scale, proportion, and quantity. This is what the Next Generation Science Standard says about scale, proportion, and quantity. It says, in considering phenomena, is in it is critical to recognize what is relevant at different size, time, and energy scales and to recognize proportional relationships between different quantities as scales change. Mm. Yeah, I think two of those are probably pretty easy for folks to understand. I think the energy one is the one that, you know, even even I have trouble like thinking about like how I would teach that. I mean, because I mean, I think what we do is typically just talk like metric stuff and it's like, okay, like, but I mean, like energy scales is huge. Like that's a, that's a something that 
doesn't show up a lot in people's everyday life. I think time and size, and we can unpack those a little bit, um, but I think the energy is the one that would be really a real struggle uh, for teachers. And it's, yeah. it's really important. Uh, don't get me wrong, but like, like how much, you know, how much people experience do people have with like, if we talk about calories versus watts versus like, you know, like what, like what, how do they, you know, conceptualize that? Because those are things mm-hmm. jewels, like how do they conceptualize those energy forms and amounts? They just wouldn't, you know? Yeah. Well, an energy in and of itself is a really complicated oh, concept, right? So it's notoriously slippery. And um, so so then to think about it, both in terms of energy and in terms of scale, yeah, it gets, it gets um, tricky or size and scale quantity. Right. So we're, we'll, we may or may not talk much about energy, but we will certainly talk about um, how these, and, and I think one of the interesting things, um, you know, and we haven't talked that much about this, but um, that sub-disciplines within science have their own sort of pieces of this. Um, and therefore, like what size, what sizes and scales are relevant in, say, earth science are quite different than in chemistry or biology, right? And, and so, um, so there is, in the same way that they're reoccurring characters, if that's what we're going to stick with, um, those characters have an arc. They have change. Sure. They're, they're different. They appear different in different scenes or different movies or whatever. And so talking about how that plays out, how these cross-cutting so- concepts get contextualized so that they both connect to other areas, but also are represented in epistemically authentic ways within the, the sub-discipline so that they feel like, oh, this is how earth science teachers or earth, sorry, earth scientists, geoscientists would talk about these things. This is how physicists would talk about these things. So, so it's a, it's a tension there between those things, the, the wanting it to be connected, but also wanting it to be authentic to the, to the disciplinary. I think one of the places where I kind of ran into this, where it was sort of like, uh, dissonant for me was in in one of my undergraduate classes in physics, you know, and I might have mentioned this in another episode where you know the he, you know the professor was working out some problem and comes to the end and, and he was just working with like orders of magnitude, right? And he's like, oh yeah. look look how we, we're only an order of magnitude off, and I was like, what is he talking about? We're like we're like ten times off, you know? And he's like, no, that's fine, that's fine, orders of magnitude, and and at that point I realized that he was looking at scale so much differently than you know I had been accustomed to up until that point in my life, because you know you think about like oh I didn't get the answer right because I had ten to the twenty second or but it was like he was totally fine with that. He was like, mm-hmm. okay. And because the problem we were doing, and I can't remember at the time was either something that was really, really small or something really, really large. And in both, in, in both, you know, we would have run into both of those in, in one of my undergraduate classes, whether we were talking about something like in a statistical mechanics class, which was looking at, you know, electrons and all that, or something like earth space science, which would be something really large. Mm-hmm. And, and so Considering that, it's it's just like, you know, where do we really unpack that with students? We teach them the metric, you know, scale, and we tell them, okay, here you have to memorize this, and we give them like really interesting, you know, ways to remember the, you know, kilograms and, mm. you know, yeah. but little right? heuristics and yeah. heuristics, yeah, nice, yeah. yeah. And but I mean, it, I think it needs a little bit more intentional instruction, more, mm-hmm. yeah. 
<laughs> that's that's not a great the uh-huh mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh yeah so you're agreeing i like it Thank um you. and i guess the other place where i i thought where i encountered it where it was again ca- calling it dissonant was i don't know if i'm sure you've seen these eames videos right you've seen the mm-hmm. that yeah, power yeah. to 10 yeah and if you haven't seen this you know go and google eames e-a-m-e-s um, this was a husband and wife team of designers, architects who uh, did all kinds of cool stuff. They d- developed the chair, right? The chair. Um, there's an Eames chair, but they the have Eames this. Yeah, uh, and they also have uh, this video called "Powers of Ten, in which what they do is they start with a a couple and they're sitting in a a, a park, I think, on a blanket, yeah. and then they're having a at, picnic. A picnic, yeah, at a park. Mm-hmm. And every every ten seconds, they zoom out. 10 a power of 10 and so in the beginning it's like okay you know 10 seconds later they're 10 meters above the the park uh but then 10 seconds later they're 100 meters above the park and then you can see multiplied by 10 for every 10 seconds and so they're like in in no time at all they're like you know they're like a speck and then they're up in space and you don't yes. see that yeah well they're not up in space right goodness because we're the viewer we right. we the viewer yeah but, right yeah, then so, they, uh, and they reverse it, right? And they come back. Then they go down and, and start into their thumbnail or something and show like the atoms. And yeah, I mean, I think, and I think the thing I want to just say about cross-cutting concepts before we get much into the scale, though I do, I do want um, to do that, but um, is just to remind people that like one of the key things here is it's about how you talk with kids about science ideas. So it isn't necessarily that you're going to teach size and scale per se, though sometimes you may do that. But what you're really doing is calling out examples of size and scale and proportion and quantity right? explicitly using that kind of explicit language to say, look, we're talking about changes in scale here. Let's think about what that means. Um, and and that's really what makes it the cross-cutting concept is that is that you're bringing in that language in an explicit way to support students saying, oh, this is also about scale, because uh, we talked about scale in, in physics, and it was very different, but now we're talking about scale here, and it's it's this other way in, in earth science. So I think that, that idea of one of the core um, practices around thinking with uh, cross-cutting concepts is that it's explicitly calling out this language, talking about cause and effect explicitly, we were talking about last time, in this case, talking about you know scale and, and quantity and proportion. And I think having that terminology to talk about this moves the conversation away from, hey, let's memorize the uh, the metric prefixes to talking about why we use certain metric prefixes for certain different ways of examining things because of the scales we're working in, right? And then so we're using that term to say, okay, it's the same kind of topic. It's just that we're talking about it. So when we talk about really big things, we're going to use these things. This scale is really big. So we're looking at things like, you know, in astronomical sense. And so from this point of view, we have to look at this kind of scale. Okay. We're looking at things at the subatomic level. So we're going to have to look at it from this perspective. And these are the the scale terms we use here. And so being like intentional about like using that language to bring in this cross-cutting concept, I think is the, you're right. It's the critical part um because we know kids have trouble with this they do right right right. and they have and and you know relevant to that they have different problems with different scale issues or quantity issues or proportion issues right so you know the um you know 
so earth science, the area where I've been doing a lot of my work recently, like, you know, the big thing there obviously is that the time scales and the physical scales are so big that you can't observe the phenomenon of interest. Right. So that's hard because you, which, you know, we could talk more about this uh, as we think about sort of the in-between ways to deal with these things, but, um, but using simulations, using data visualizations, using um, computational tools to help kids with those issues of large scale phenomenon is really helpful. But the other thing that's, that's difficult in earth science is thinking across scales because you have to think about like plate tectonic scales. So basically Mm -hmm. the size of the earth scale, but how that has an effect on, you know, from an earth science point of view, sort of small scale phenomenon, like how, how you see um, deformation of, rock layers, right? And and how that then produces particular kinds of rock, which are observably different from each other. So some of that happens at a very small scale, like really micro scale in the sense that it's the minerals that are in the rocks and that define in the crystals that define what kind of rock it is up to the, the local um, environment that forms those rocks to the tectonic environments that are the whole earth that create those, those localized environments. So, so it's not just understanding scale, it's being able to reason and think across scale. That's such a huge challenge in a lot of these areas, but you know, earth science is, is a real, is a real stark example. I think building on that, I think the other part that's critical about this is recognizing that scale, uh, influences our ability to reason and make claims in science. Because if we're looking at something at a certain scale, that may not give us the fullest picture of what's happening. So building on your plate tectonics thing, if we're only looking at a certain time period of scale. So, okay, like five years or a year or something, that, that scale is really meaningless to something that happens at, you know, at a plate tectonic, you know, level. Right. Um, and same thing, so we're talking about it from time, but the same sort of thing would happen if we're looking at things at, you know, uh, subatomic levels or at like astronomical levels. So, you sure. know, the, the scale in which we view something is is critical for the types of uh, observations we can make. It's critical for the types of uh, conclusions we make. And so something that may be observable at one scale may not be observable at another. And yeah. so that, that that's a really important part for students to understand in terms of scale. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think that's, a, yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, this idea of like choosing the correct scale for the absolutely. phenomenon of interest is really important. And, and again, a hard thing for kids to think about because they don't naturally, you know, and we can talk about some of the research on, on scale too. I know you, you have a, we'll put this in the show notes, but a really nice article, a classic article about kids organizing things in scales. Um, but it, you know, again, it is hard because there, there's, there are obviously scales that we feel very comfortable with, you know, human size scales that we're used to all the time. But if you go much in either direction, it gets hard really quickly. Right. Um, you know, and so <clears throat> getting, getting, and, and the human mind isn't really good at that sort of stuff, really big quantities and, or scales and really, or really small things, right? Like, you know, is it, how does a molecule compare to a dust moat? You know, how does it like these, these sorts of things are very difficult for us to, to get our head around. Um, and you know, how big is the, how big is the solar system compared to, you know, the earth? Like, you know, these, these are, these are very abstract. And so figuring out how to, how to help kids, 
um, work with those ideas is, is very difficult, but important. Yeah. So what you talked about the research and that is probably a good place for us to unpack some of that is, mm -hmm. so this is a pretty classic uh, research article from, I don't know, what was this like in the uh, 2006, 2006. So we'll put this in the show notes and it talks about, um, so specifically what they did was they looked at different grade levels, the researchers, Treader et al. Um, they looked at um, students and their concepts of, uh, of size and scale. And so what they gave them was 26 different objects, things like, like uh, a piece of hair, right? A, you know, um, a golf ball, a, a parking lot, uh, a building, you know, the earth. And so these, a bunch of different sizes and they asked them to organize them and to classify them. So then, and they did this at, you know, elementary level, they did it at middle level, they did it at high school with a couple of different groups of uh, high school kids to see yeah. how they would group them and and how they would organize them from biggest to smallest and it was pretty interesting and it's almost kind of like the uh, private universe right i knew i knew that was coming it was in my head too that's funny. yeah yeah yeah, so it's kind of like the private universe. And if you're not familiar with the private universe, um, this is where they are interviewing. This is a video, uh, another classic video. This is from like mm. the 80s, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. It was it was work that came out of Harvard that was all conceptual change research. Right. We talked about conceptual change in another episode. but did, like, yeah. um, And so we're talking about how hard it is to change students' conceptualizations of science. And so what they did was they interviewed these students coming out of uh, graduation at Harvard and asking them, about how seasons change. And they found that the, their understandings for seasons were really not very much different than the kids that were like in middle school and elementary school. Mm -hmm. And so that even though in some of these, you know, Harvard grads were pretty, um, you know, confident in their explanations. Well, and had backgrounds that would lead them to feel like they should be confident, sure. right? Like there were physics majors. There were, there were people who, you know, were not this is not like we're, we're asking the philosophy majors, you know, they were asking people who, at least in theory, have had a lot of instruction in these areas of, of study. Yeah. And, and I see that same sort of thing with this, this size and scale research is that so when they were in where you would think that the students would struggle is where they struggled. Like they're really good at, at things that are around our physical size. So around the size of a, a building or, you know, a park or a house or, you know, a mall or something like that. They were really good at organizing in terms of, of size. And they were really good at coming up with good descriptors, really small stuff and really big stuff. They struggled. And so they put everything and it was lots of what's really interesting is the order. Sometimes they put things in mm -hmm. and also they just classified everything from like a textbook. So elementary schools, kids, they were like anything smaller than a textbook was just small. So yeah. this could be like, you know, a virus. It could be a piece of rice. It could be a hair. It could be like everything was just small. And so an atom was, you know, small as a piece of hair would be, as a yeah. piece of rice would be. And, but then you look through and maybe the organization gets a little bit better, but they still classify everything as small. So in middle school, same sort of grouping. Um, they do a little bit better in terms of maybe organizing, although it's not substantively different. Um, but then as you start to move into the high school kids, again, you know, they do a little bit better at the big stuff. Uh, but the small stuff is still 
really a struggle for them. And, and they, then they looked at one group, which was gifted seniors and they had a better sense of it, but I would, and, and what they did was they organized things as they had big, which was everything from, you know, a trip, a, a, like a, a, a continental trip, you know? Mm. So if you were traveling from LA to New York, New York, but that's big. And so is the distance to the sun. Yeah. Those are both big. They're and both big. They're, Yes, they are, but they're very different in terms of how big they are. Um, and so, and in terms of small, they had everything from like a piece of rice as being small down to an atom and nucleus small. And again, that's almost similarly in t- terms of, you know, orders of magnitude as the, you know, transatlantic flights and, you know, yeah. 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 So, I mean, so again, this this um, this idea. A couple of things that are important here, right? One is that humans are mostly good at things that are observably uh, recognizable, right? That we can say, "Oh, I know how big a mall is because I've seen one. I know how big a building is. I know how big a grain of rice is." But once you get to a virus, like the difference between a virus versus an atom, like, well, I haven't really seen either of those things. So, um, you know, maybe you've seen a virus under a microscope. Um, but you know, this idea of, okay, so, so what do you do then? Um, and how do you start thinking about that? And I think, you know, what, what you, what we, we, if we want to take cross-cutting concepts seriously, uh, have to do is start to think about when these, when we're, we're dealing with a particular scale, we need to help kids think about that scale relative to things that they can understand. And so give them to the best of our ability comparisons and like, and, and that's hard. And, um, yeah. and there's been a lot of research on it and it, and, and we still don't have clear answers on the best way to support this, but we have to provide opportunities for kids to reason across these scales. Cause otherwise there, as, as Ali's describing in this research, there's very little change. Um, I mean, basically the things that are still obviously observable like a grain of rice are are um you know moved away from things that are clearly unobservable like like uh, viruses and atoms but that that doesn't do a great job in really differentiating outside those edges of scale yeah i think connecting it to to experiences that students may have i think that's also helpful with the the time uh scale too because like you know in terms of, you know, humans' existence on the earth, right? I mean, we, we have – we're like a blip in the overall time period of, of, of the earth and, and the solar system and, you know, everything. Right. And, and I think – so what, what I, I think about some of the resources I've seen in terms of being able to help students understand that. And they use this, you know, if, if all of time was a book, mm-hmm. right – And then they say, okay, well, we wouldn't show up until the last paragraph of the last page of this gigantic book that's the size of, you know, the United States. Mm -hmm. And, and that's an important way of framing it in a way that students would have a better sense. I mean, until we stop using books, right, then that's like, what's a book? That's a fair point. Just compare it to the size of the internet. So compared to the size of the internet, we're like one web page on the whole. Right. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't. Nope. Yeah. No, it I fall- mean, I think the point actually is that what that does, what that analogy that you've just described does is it, is it connects something that they have a handle on right. 
and then analogizes it to the thing that they don't have a handle on. Now, uh, you know, that, that also doesn't solve the problem, right? Because it, 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 the, the problem, problem, the, this conceptual difficulty can only be really dealt with by repeatedly asking kids to think through these things and supporting them while they're doing it. So, um, so these analogies are helpful, but, um, you know, sometimes, you know, it's, it's also hard to imagine a book as big as the United States. So, so like it, it, all these things are tricky to help them, um, you know, work through, but, but again, explicitly doing it, like really saying like one of my jobs is not just to keep teach kids science content, but it's also to help them learn to do this particular kind of reasoning. And there is that that's true in the science and engineering practices because there's reasoning built into those, but this is a different thing. This is a different way of helping, you know, whether, whether they're recurring characters or tools that we're giving kids, these are, these are things that we want kids to use in multiple contexts um, and, and little, little sort of ways of thinking about science. Yeah. And, and I think there are ways that you could teach this, Throughout, like teach this, you know, to to younger students and teach this to older students, and Absolutely. and it, I think more than anything, it's you know thinking about using the terminology right and pointing it out and being explicit about it. Because um, I think about like there's lots of books that you can use. Like we talked about the Eames videos. Um, like there's uh, there's this this book, and we use this in our uh, professional development uh, when we did that with the, the uh, school district of Philadelphia. There's a book called Zoom, um, and if you're not familiar with it, do a Google search. We maybe put it in the social uh, uh, the show notes. And mm-hmm. what what Zoom does is is it starts with a uh, a picture, and you're looking at the picture, and this is for your earlier grade. Uh, students and you look at a picture and you like have no idea what it is and you're looking at it and you study it and this would be really great for you to do and i think there's a uh maybe a digital version of it online like on youtube or something uh and you look at it and you're like okay what is this and it looks kind of maybe like a flower it kind of looks like maybe a cell the coloring is kind of unique and so it's a really good way to get students to make observations make inferences and then what happens on the next page of the book is it zooms out and that's why it's called zoom. And so it zooms out and you get a clearer sense of what it is, but then you still don't have the full picture. You have a little different sense of the picture. And so you can do this again and say, okay, well, what are the observations and inferences you can make with this? And again, you go through that process with the students and again, and this would be a really good way for you to talk about scale, like, explicitly and say, okay, what, what were we able to see at this scale that we weren't able to see at the previous scale? And how did that change our perceptions? How did that change the types of observations we can make, the types of inferences we can make? And the book continues to do this until eventually it moves to like almost at the, you know, a, a global scale, right? Yeah. It's, very, and, it's very much like the Eames video. In that it perspective. is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the Eames video, uh, it doesn't provide the same levels of opportunities for observations and inferences and it's really this is really colorful it's that you know it's really you know directed at younger students and i think that's a tremendous resource for you to talk about this in the way that is developmentally appropriate for for younger kids yeah and i think that's worth building on i mean i think one of the things that if you go and look at the cross-cutting concepts you know they they are broken out by grade bands and um, and so, you know, in primary school, in K to, K to 2, you know, what you're really trying to get kids to do is say, oh, I'm going to compare two objects based on some 
criteria, right? Some, some scale related criteria. So their weight, their, their length, whatever, like I'm going to, this is hotter, that's colder. Like it's all about comparisons, um, to build up, um, sort of an intuitive notion that like these, these quantities exist and they exist in certain amounts that can be compared to each other. And then that builds a foundation, right? So that, and then you work your way through to, um, you know, at the high school level, some of the things are, you know, the significance of a phenomenon is dependent on scale proportion and quantity in which it occurs. So you get a much, you're starting to get a much more nuanced sense of like, okay, now I've built up this, this notion of scale, um, how do I think about the fact that patterns may exist at one scale and not at another scale, at least from an observable sense? Um, so what does that mean if I'm a science person and I want to investigate a phenomenon? So, you know, it goes back to what we've already been talking about, but this idea of um, the the consequences of scale get much more important as you get higher up in the grade bands, um, lower in the grade bands, it's more about recognizing that there are differences in scale, that these things actually exist, that, that, you know, a second and an hour and a month and a year are very different measurements of time um, and helping elementary kids think about even that level of scale is critically important. Yeah. If what's, what I think is great is that the, uh, there's lots of resources out there to help with that progression, right? There's lots of resources that say, okay, you know, I'm a, I'm a fourth grade teacher. What should I be doing with my, you know, fourth grade students to help them think about this? And so like, there's tons of stuff. We could put some, some of the links in, uh, in the show notes, but, you know, specifically that progression chart in terms of, okay, here's, here's how you would talk about this or how you would frame this for, you know, first and second graders. And here's how you would talk about it in, you know, fourth and fifth graders and then moving on. And I think, what that does is just like what's kind of cool from my point of view is that it's the scale, right? It's the scale of the scale, right? So it's like how, ah, see, it's very meta. See what I did there? Um, Because what they do is they present, you know, okay, this is scale proportion and quantity is this big thing of itself. And how do you, you know, focus on a part of that that is developmentally appropriate for kids at this at certain grade levels. And so, you know, the scale that you would focus on for younger students, then you, you know, you change your perspective. And and so it's the scale of the scale. See what I did there? I'm yeah. drops like, yeah, you should really break your arm, patting yourself on the back. Uh, I, that, I, was, I, that was the thing of beauty. It was, it yeah. is. I'm done for the day right there. Put you can take over up. for the rest of the episode. Wow. <laughs> Well, uh, one last thing before maybe we do end and talk about things that bring us joy besides our own, uh, our own speech, um, is just to remind you that, that always with these, right. That, that in NGSS it's three dimensional learning. So taking size and scale out is not what we're talking about. We're not saying you need to have a unit about size and scale that defeats the purpose of a cross-cutting concept. What we're saying is within a context where you're working with kids around a disciplinary core idea and hopefully engaging them in one of the scientific practices that you're also calling out this language of size, scale, and proportion uh, as part of that process, which again, makes, makes science teaching a much more complicated job. Um, But but that's the reality of good science teaching is that it's complicated. And if you think it's easy, which I don't think most people do, but I don't think anyone um, then, then uh, this will disabuse you of that. But 
but just a reminder that that's what the 3D means is that they're integrated together. They're, they're always happening to the best of your ability. They're always happening in simultaneous um, context. So you don't teach con- content without practice. You don't do practices without content. And you don't do any of that without considering the possibility that there. Now, that doesn't mean you emphasize every cross-cutting concept in every lesson. That's insane, too. Right. It's like, um, ah! so, exactly. So that's how that that's how the performance expectations are developed is they are an example of how you can take a disciplinary core idea and a practice and a cross-cutting concept and combine them into something that kids would engage with and do as a, as a way of learning. So performance expectations aren't meant to be the only answer for, for the, for that thing. Um, they're an example. So, um, so just remember that you, you, as a teacher have flexibility to move, uh, in between these things and combine them in ways that make sense for you and your students. Yeah. All right. Cross-cutting concepts, scale concepts done. Check. Yeah, scale, proportion, and quantity, done. It's in the past, but in the uh, recent past. Yes. Not in the geologic past. Oh, nice. Which is a whole different scale. I like what you did there. Nice work. Yeah, see, I'm trying. I'm trying to live up to your your high standard of what. You got to bring a little bit more energy, my friend. Sorry, I'll work on it. <laughs> All right. What about uh, Joyce? What about Just Joyce for you? Another day. Yeah. Uh, come on, Eeyore. Um. um well, okay. So you want what you're saying is I get to go first this week? Yeah, okay. I'm gonna Thank you. open the stage for you. I appreciate that. Um, well, actually, technically, I'm opening the stage for you, but that's okay. I, you know, I'm the opening act. You're you're oh, the headliner. Nice. Yes. Um, so what I will open with is uh, something that um, I I have always loved, but I am getting a lot more, uh, getting to do a lot more of it recently, which is watching premier league soccer. So I'm a, I was a soccer player in high school. I love soccer and I really in relatively recently, I have to admit, um, like the last five years or so really started to enjoy watching soccer. Um, and, and this starting over the, the break, this, you know, sort of winter break and, and moving forward, uh, we had time. And one of the ways I filled that time was with premier league soccer. So, um, so I've been watching a lot of that. Uh, I really love it. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, if you're, even if you're not a soccer person, I think you can enjoy it, but, um, but I've been, I've been watching a lot and just so you know, Liverpool's my team. So, um, they're, they're not quite what they were last year. They were, they were very dominant last year. Uh, this year they're, you know, they're still a good, good side as they say, uh, and, but, uh, but they're, but they're, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic for them, but, uh, yeah. So premier league soccer, that's my, that's the thing that's, that I'm going to talk about bringing me joy this week. Yeah. You know, I, when I think about soccer, I think about, uh, you and I went to a, a conference in the Indiana. Do you remember this? Oh and, yes, I do very much so. Cause that was world cup soccer. It was world cup soccer. Yeah. And it was right when my son was born. And so I was home with him that whole, uh yeah that whole summer like before the conference and so uh you know he was just sitting there as a little baby and i got to watch all these world cup games and then during the conference was when like the 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 finals were if i remember yep and you and i spent some 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 time watching some some matches yes Uh, yeah well and i will say like 
really watching soccer, my entree into watching soccer, um, as opposed to playing it was through world cup. Um, and you know, especially women's world cup, right. I mean, the, yeah. Amer- the American men like forget about it. They're terrible, frankly, um, comparatively, sure. but, but the women are obviously yeah. the best in the world consistently. So they're, they're really fun to watch. So yeah, yes. I've been, I've done some fantasy, uh, world cup over the last few years it was mm-hmm. it's it's good stuff it is good stuff all right, all right. so but, but that's, that's not, not what's bringing you joy that's not what what's bringing me joy i have to say that we just binge watched uh uh the flight attendant on uh hbo max and so uh this has uh the uh one actress from uh the big bang theory is it kaylee cuckoo or uh yeah so the one blonde actress from uh from Big Bang Theory. She plays a flight attendant who's kind of a hot mess. Um, she's uh, so it's kind of like I will, I'll say this. I'll describe it. It's if you've seen Girl on a Train or Red Girl on a Train, where someone is a barely functional alcoholic who sort of has trouble keeping it together. Um, in Girl on a Train, she thinks she witnesses a murder, but then she goes, "Okay, was I involved in the murder?" There's there's a lot of similarities between that and the flight attendant. So you have um, the the lead character is a you know barely functional alcoholic um, who gets herself into some trouble, and then you don't know um, what's real and what's not. And then she goes into this like uh, she definitely has some some mental health uh, issues, um, but it's somewhat comedic at times and somewhat fantasy at times it is was really a good watch it's like eight episodes each one's uh 40 some odd minutes and uh it was something where i'm hoping they make a second season because it was very good um the flight attendant hbo max okay i was gonna ask okay hbo max excellent yeah it was one of the during the pandemic, this was one of the new things we, one of the new streaming services we bought because there was a couple of things that we we'd seen, uh, you know, advertised. We we're like, oh, we should try this out, you know, yeah. and and so that was one we we jumped on and it was awesome. So, yeah. well, I think I, that I think that's been a thing for everybody that over the pandemic is increasing their streaming service uh, subscriptions. Yeah, people are are playing like one of one of my um, students was saying that they sort of turn them on and off strategically. So they'll like turn on their HBO max and watch it really hardcore for that for a month. And then they'll turn it off and turn on something else and watch that really hardcore. So they're not running all the services all at the same time. And it's like, a, that's a lot to keep up yeah. with. I know. Yeah. Well, we're, we're too old for that. You know, we're, we just like, yeah. Hey, come on. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's, it, there's still a lot of good entertainment that we've come across. So and we've, we've shared a bunch of it during our joys here. Yes, so, we did. Yeah. All, All right. right. Well, episode 27 in the, in can. the can. Yeah. Look at Boom. us. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll see you next time. In between. In between. In between.